The Talking Point with Kathy Motsasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It's 6 after 11 o'clock. Welcome to the third and final hour of The Talking Point this morning. Coming up in this hour, we're going to be looking at the latest in terms of South Africa leading a mission, uh, particularly with the military to the DRC. It's a mission by the Southern African Development Community, and it's to assist the Congolese government in restoring peace and security in the eastern part of that country. Uh, Just recently, the United Nations withdrew its peacekeeping mission after 20 years following a call by the Congolese government for the withdrawal of the UN peacekeepers. The, the, the DRC government deemed that the UN force was ineffective in protecting civilians from armed groups and militias that continue to plague and fuel violence in the eastern part of that country. So that's the conversation that we're going to be having within the next hour. Thomas Mandrup is the, an associate professor with the Royal Danish Defence College and we'll be speaking to him about this deployment. Before we get to it, however, I want us to listen to this report by the SABC's Chris Ochamringa, who's in Kinshasa. Troops from Malawi, Tanzania and South Africa are in the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo to support the Congolese army. The troops, known as the Southern African Development Community Mission in the DRC, are led by a commander from South Africa. They will be working with Congolese forces to fight armed groups in eastern DRC. The region has about 120 armed groups fighting over land and the control of mineral resources. But the most deadly of them is the M23 movement that has captured swathes of territory in North Kivu province since 2022. The deployment of the Southern African forces is in line with the principle of collective self-defense adopted by the 16-nation trade bloc. The troops have replaced soldiers from the East African community who were ordered by the Congolese government to leave the DRC for failing to fight the M23 rebels. The arrival comes as the DRC awaits the confirmation of the results of the presidential election by the Constitutional Court. In December last year, the country's electoral commission declared President Felix Tshisekedi the winner of the election with 73% of the vote. But opposition candidates have rejected the results and called for a rerun. Chris Ochamringa, SABC News, Kinshasa. So that's just part of what is unfolding then in the DRC currently. Let me welcome onto the show Thomas Mandrup. He's an associate professor with the Royal Danish Defence College and with the Security Institute for Governance and Leadership in Africa at Stellenbosch University. Thomas, good morning. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Good morning, Thomas. All right, Professor Mandrup, can you hear me? Yeah, Okay. I can hear you, yes. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for um, making time for us. I think a good place to begin with this story is to really look at what has propelled this action, right? The the fact that we have a SADC force that's now heading to the DRC. Why did MONUSCO leave the country, which is really the, the UN's peacekeeping mission? If in fact there wasn't um, stability in the region, why 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 did they leave? 
yeah, first of all, thank you very much for, for, for having me and uh, good morning to the listeners. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, the UN, as you know, has been there for more than 20 years um, and has uh, played a crucial role in, in uh, trying to stabilize um, uh, the, the, the Congo uh, for, for the years they've been there. Uh, a very criticized role as well, because they've been, of course, criticized for doing for, for too much inaction and not uh, being able to do enough uh, towards the year. Rebel groups, which have been present basically for all 20 years, uh, for the whole period uh, in Eastern Congo, especially. Um, and the political pressure from the from the Congo uh, towards the, the UN mission has uh, over time uh, been there. You know, the former president, Yosef uh, Kabila, called for the UN on several occasions to leave, uh, basically because they... Uh, he didn't see the force uh, being fitting to his political interests and ambitions, but also because there was this criticism towards the mission for not doing enough. Uh, and also in the Kiwis themselves, we've had several occasions uh, where the lo local population has turned against the uh, the UN force for, again, typically for not doing enough, especially when faced with the rebel insurgencies like the N23, as we see at the moment. Uh, previously, we saw that in 2008, we've seen that in 2012 and 13, where UN headquarters were overrun or attacked by, I've tried it, I've been to Congo many times myself, you know, driving in UN cars, being having rocks thrown at you because of this this incentive, this sentiment that they are doing enough. But it, so it's fair to criticize the UN for not doing enough in certain aspects. Uh, on the other hand, a lot of the, the progress we have seen in, in the most parts of the Congo um, uh, is also very much due to the fact that we've had a UN mission there. And again, we also we need to remember that that basically uh, the, the responsibility for peace and security in the Congo is a Congolese one. It's not the UN. The UN is there to support that process, but it is reality, the political level and, and the people of Congo that needs to find solutions and find sustainable solutions to the peace process. But why are we now with the current situation where the UN is, is on a drawdown, which means that they will begin uh, to withdraw forces within the next year, um, it is due basically to the same situation. We have an escalating security situation, especially in North Kivu and, and in the Turi province, where we've seen some of the rebel groups, especially the, um, the M23, uh, uh, taking uh, winning ground and, and pushing back the security forces and the UN. Um, and then we had elections. So when Sejikedi, in uh, the president, in, in September went to the UN and asked for the UN to leave and when they started negotiations to do that, it was also with the idea that he promised when he was elected president five years ago that he would, uh, he would solve the situation in Eastern Congo and he's not been able to do that. So we can also say that it's also there's a bit of scapegoating here that that the UN has been the scapegoat of of uh, the inability of the current government to, to do something about the, the political situation there. Of course, that context then means that there is a particular expectation that the leadership of the Congo in particular would have about the deployment of this SADC mission. So, if the UN you know, mission was not doing enough. What will the SADC mission be expected to do that will meet the expectations? 
Yeah, I think that there's a big, uh, big difference here. One, one thing can say that the general, the UN mission, uh, of course, it had what what we in UN terms call the Chapter Seven mandate. So they were they were allowed to use force to implement um, its mandate. Uh, it's not a war mission. It is a peace uh, peace uh, deployment. The static force is not a peacekeeping force. It's a military force with an offensive mandate which is supposed to go in and physically stop and uh, stabilize and disarm uh, these rebel groups, especially the N23, but maybe also further down the line, the FDLR, the former genocidaires from, from Rwanda, maybe also the Islamist group, the ADF in, in the north. Um, so that is what is expected. Then there's also the total training side of things and all that. But it's this very different task that they've had, they have, and they are, it's a very different task. They're supposed to go in and try to forcefully, with, with force, go in and stop and stabilize the, the uh, advancement of these rebel groups. But it's a very highly complicated uh, deployment, and it also deprived an environment uh, that they, they, this force is deploying into. Uh, and one has to remember that uh, within the U current UN force, the MONUSCO, we have what's called the Force Intervention Brigade, which is the same country as Tanzania, Malawi, and on the South African lead for a long time, that ha that's had, had a more robust mandate and basically had the same uh, same role and was quite successful back in 2013. But since then, the successes has been less so. And be they've been highly internal in mission. They call it, they call it a failure. Uh, so it is... This robust mandate is not a, a, like a, a clear ticket for success. Um, you need the right, uh, you know, the, cap the right capabilities deployed. You need the right uh, strategy. You need the right intelligence. And you need all these kind of things to be successful. And then you have to work with a partner, which is, uh, let's put it frankly, uh, has very limited capacity and also which also you know can not necessarily can trust in all the ways in terms of, of sharing intelligence stuff like that because they they collude with the enemy some of them at least do and all that so we this have a highly complicated situation to be deployed into when it comes to um the the different regions um that are also players in in this particular matter does does it actually matter, uh, Prof? Because on the one hand, you have uh, the DRC th that's a member of the East Africa community, um, and then you also have the DRC um, that is receiving this deployment from SADC. And uh, of course, there's contestation really when you talk about the M3 rebels, about what is fueling that stability, re instability rather, regionally anyway. So th there's the regional politics of, of, of where the East is sitting now. What dynamic does having a force from SADC play into all of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, and you're quite right, and it's a very important point. Um... We have in, in the when you're in the Congo, you there's what we call the truth of the yoke, uh, and the truth of the yoke is, is is a term that the Congolese use themselves. That that the causes of the illnesses and the, uh, and the tra tragedy of the Congo is always something from the outside. So there's this narrative in, inside the Congo that that everything that is bad in Congo is basically the fault of of, of the uh, of the uh, external parties because it is, as you say. It is also a regional conflict. If we go back to 1996, when the uh, when the, con the current conflict started, we can always debate when they start reality. But but let's just say 1996, and we had the invasions from Iraq, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi. Uh, you had Tanzania. No, sorry, no, you had uh, Namibia, 
Zimbabwe uh, and, and Angola on the other side and stuff like that. Where you had this, so it's a very much a, a regional conflict as well. And and it's uh, the risk for static is of course that now it is deploying into a situation where the M23 allegedly is supported by Rwanda. We've had a failed, semi-failed East African engagement. We have increased regional competition uh, for influence in the future of Congo, because Congo is also a very potentially very rich country, is a potentially very powerful country because of its mere size, uh, its geography right in the center, and we're with just more than 100 million people living there. So it is potentially that's that a very, in the future, quite important. And we've seen here that the Congolese politicians have played this game where they joined the East African community in 2022, even though they also were made a member of ECAS, the Central African Organization, and they were, have always been a member of, of SADC for many years, which were admitted by from the support from South Africa back in the day. So there's a lot of economic, potential economic and political interest in this, and, and, and Congolese has been playing this. So they went to the East Africans to, to try to get them and get closer to that, because the eastern part of the Congo has always been part of that as well. Uh, and then it didn't go well. Then they returned to SADC again. And, uh, and South Africa has a very, of course, national interest there. And you have economic interest there from South African uh, political economic interest being uh, present in that area. So it's that SADC force is going to be deployed into a situation where some of the rebel groups are supported by neighboring states. And therefore, by proxy, you are potentially in conflict with these uh, interests in that area, which means means that you have to navigate uh, this. And then, and then at the same time, of course, uh, we also have to remember that the static force being there also represents certain interests. So, so that is all, and that it's seen as being representing these interests as well. So it's a highly complicated which the commander needs to navigate in, yeah. in that area. And, and do do you think that, Prof, what we're going to see happen again, because, um, you know, these rebels, as you have clearly highlighted, have had control of that area for close on two decades. So it's going to be very difficult to try and reverse that overnight. Do you believe that the SADC deployment is going to be focusing on specific areas where perhaps the interests of, 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 of SADC and associated uh, countries or parties may lie? I think the first first task would be, of course, to secure uh, the Goma and, you know, the regional capital in, in, in the North Kivu. And uh, I think that is the basic issue. And then we have the areas towards Saki, which is a strategic town to, to the north of Goma, which, which, of course, needs to be secured as well. And I think that will be the first task they have, will have to handle. And then they will try to move to the north uh, to two areas there were controlled by the N23. And, and that will, that, of course, will be uh quite challenging because as you mentioned yeah the the force intervention brigade which i started by mentioning that was part was south africa on the african lead which back in 2013 they actually de defeated the m23 at that time forced them to demobilize and forced them to 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 be uh, to try to reintegrate and all that uh, and that process just uh, stalled and it never happened uh, after the military the victory was won. And now M23 is back in a better for a format and with more uh, better armed and all that, which makes it a, a more complicated uh, military uh, situation. My biggest fear, and, and it's, uh, related, it's related to what is it that the static force uh, can able can do, 
because I think um, the one thing is to deploy, but one and one is another thing is to be an effective military operational, be operational in theater, basically being in the, being operational in the north. And you you're looking into a situation where uh, we have anecdotal evidence that that uh, M23 now got man pads, which means that even though if you had attack helicopters like the South African Royal Falcon that should support which, which you need, and you need a, a C-130s, and you need transport helicopters, which South Africa at the moment do not have in the in the numbers that is needed for this kind of operation. Um, the risk is, of course, that that this man uh, that, that this rebel group would be able to uh, threaten these uh, air presence because these uh, platforms do not have the needed uh, systems to protect themselves against these uh, these. Uh, um, man patch systems and all that. So, so it's a very highly uh, difficult situation, and you have to operate quite uh, swiftly and all that. The next problem is that in 2023, uh, uh, so 13, sorry, um, when they went in the first time, at that time, the M23 didn't know the South African force, and we went in with a very robust force with special forces and these kind of things, and we were quite efficient, and within, within relatively short time span, you actually managed to push them back and demobilize them. Uh, but the political space after that was not used. And again, one has to remember that a military force can create space for political solutions to take place if they're managed in the right way, and, we're and if the military force is given the right tools to actually manage its mandate. The problem this time around is that time has gone and those African forces has been deployed in that area for a long time and the M23 know how this African South African operates. So you need to think out of the box. You need to do it differently this time. And you, and you also you have very short, short time span actually to actually manage that before you have to change your tactics again. So it's 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 again it's uh, it's very much dependent on the political will and to give the force the needed equipment and good military commanders that can actually manage that kind of operation. And then you need the political side in the Congo and international actors and the static political leaderships to find political solutions, sustainable solutions, because the military force can only maybe, if given the possibilities by its politicians, maybe, maybe create space for a solution. When we talk about South Africa leading the SADC intervention or the South African National Defence Force leading uh, the SADC intervention, what do we mean by that? Basically, we say the force commander of, of uh, Sam in the, uh, the African, uh, Southern African Mission in DRC, Sam uh, Sam DRC, um, is a South African general. That's worth one thing. The one thing is also that South Africa is supposed to, and that has always been the idea, that the SANDF, the South African National Army, was supposed to uh, do do missions together with the other static partners, and then the specialized uh, capabilities, for instance, communication equipments, uh, medical facilities, engineering capabilities, stuff like that, the special forces capabilities, stuff like that. Was South Africa supposed to provide? So making sure that the mission had what is needed, what the other states, which are limited military capabilities, could not provide. All that. So South Africa has uh, has this idea. The problem for the South African National Defence Force is that the, the politicians has uh, basically uh, neglected the defence force for such a long time. They have reduced their budgets. At the same time, they've given them. An increased number of, of tasks. Uh, we just have to look at what's going on right now, you know, with a high number of, of uh, 
troops being deployed for border patrolling, which they've been doing for many years, but we're talking more than 3,000 soldiers, some say even 8,000 soldiers at times, being deployed to the borders to protect the borders, which is basically a police task. Uh, then you have the anti-Sama-Sama mission uh, deployed at the same time. Uh, then you have the, the whole idea of preparing the country for another 2021, which also takes things, uh, incidents in domestic in South Africa, now elections coming up, which is gay. basically all these, these, these tasks are police tasks and the police is not capable of doing it. And then we talk about international deployments when we're talking about having 1,500 troops in the Mozambique. We're talking about having 1,200 troops in the, in the DRC for the for the UN mission. And then we're talking about the new force here. And and, and the question is, when you have an underfunded defense force where your your platforms, your helicopters, both the attack helicopters, the transport helicopters, your uh, logistic uh, air wing, your C-130s, are not operational because then you haven't got money for maintenance, then it's going to be difficult to, to play that role. And, and then the question rests, who is going to do that? The next question is also for a mission like this, and it's back to the South African politicians, especially the government. You cannot continue to deploy forces without giving them budget. Because many of these missions, historically and also going back, have been financed by the defense budget. So basically, the, the, the National Defense Force is not giving extra funding when they have to go on these missions. And therefore, they have to take the funding from their ordinary budget, which is already too small. Which basically means then you are, you are in a vicious circle where things get worse and worse and worse, and you can't take recruits in and all these kind of things. So there's a lot of uh, spin-offs, negative spin-offs from, from this because the politicians do not want to prioritize. And again, for, for South Africa's image to be this, the big state, a uh, big power in, in Southern Africa, where South Africa is, to be able to go out and take this responsibility, which uh, all these kind of things, it's, it's very difficult for South Africa to fulfill that task right now. Because the politicians has not prioritized, not given them the, the ability to do so for a long time. Uh, we're in conversation with uh, Professor Thomas Mandrup. We're talking about um, the SADC deployment led by South Africa to the DRC. And as you heard, there's so many of the challenges that um, this particular team will face as they head over to the DRC. You know, the issue of costs and resources has has been a big one. Um, you know, Prof, you spoke about some of the internal deployments of the army that we have. Uh, among those, of course, is also the deployment of the army uh, to infrastructure such as um, ESCOM infrastructure for Transnet to help guard and, and protect that infrastructure. So really the question of resources is going to be a big one. Do you think that with the current budget, that has been allocated to the Defence Force, that um, that will be sufficient to carry this mission? Or are we looking at a case where, in all likelihood, there will be a requirement for more money? There will be a requirement for more money, that's that's for sure. Uh, and normally also you have funding mechanisms uh, that will, will uh, in UN missions, for instance, you get reimbursed uh, Previously, there's been big debates around the investment, whether it went back to the Defense Force or not, and all these kind of things. But in, in UN systems, you have that. And then, then of course, we have the whole, there was a decision by the UN Security Council in, in, uh, in December that they will start uh, having a look at financing. Uh, uh, UN would start financing, for instance, African Union missions by a case-by-case -case, uh, uh, situation. So one could hope that they will be the case here, that the SADC, uh, 
said it can manage to get money from the UN to finance this. And the Congolese government has said they will finance some of it. But it's again, typically, the money has not been enough and that there's been a deficit which the Defence Force needs to, to run from its own budget. And if we back to this, that the Defence Force is already underfunded. We're talking about 0.8% of the GDP. Uh, we have an uh, aging, uh, unhealthy HR structure and all that. And the problem is here is not, you know, I'm, I feel actually quite sorry for the soldiers. And that's my biggest concern because mm-hmm. as, 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 as exactly because my risk, if I might, from what I'm seeing here, I've seen committed soldiers that actually want to do it and they, and they will deploy and they will try to do, do what they ask to do because soldiers are uh, in, and especially also the African Defense Force is quite disciplined, and they try actually to do the best uh, with with uh, means given, uh, and all that. But sometimes, and then it's easier for me as an academic working with these kind of issues. All right. They 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 are you know, but it's you know, with with you need to also as a as senior commanders in the army, you also need you're also the military chief military advisor to to the government. And you also need to be able to say to the government, say, okay, this is not possible. All right. Or Prof? You, or, or also, if you do, the risk is that you have soldiers coming home in body bags because you're just present, you haven't got the equipment there, and, and you, you have to be able to do it efficiently, and then it becomes dangerous for the soldiers. All right. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. It's time for the latest headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're looking at the deployment by the SADC region led by South Africa uh, to the DRC. We're in conversation with Professor Thomas Mandrup. He's an associate professor with the Royal Danish Defence College. Let me take this call in Johannesburg. Arnold, good morning. Uh, good morning, Tati, and good morning to the listeners. Yes, I understand yes. you're from the DRC, Arnold. Yes, I'm from the DRC. I'm a doctor around and I've been in South Africa for 32 years now. All right, great. What's your contribution? Okay, my contribution is uh, very simple. I would like to thank the professor. Uh, professor, usually they are very methodical. They, they look at uh, all the factors. But uh, I commend him for that. But I must say the, the professor, he, he was looking are the intrinsic factors because you have intrinsic factors and extrinsic factors. In this case, the intrinsic factors are more from the side of the SADC and from the side of uh, the, the South African army. And then he, he was great in that. I mean, I can't challenge him in that. But being from Congo, I'll give him another perspective. The extrinsic factors is what's wrong on the Congo side. Uh, just for all, I mean, Congo is a population of maybe 80 million. Uh, most of half of the population maybe below 25 uh, years old. So it's not possible for Congo not to have a proper army. If if there is no proper army in Congo, it means that there is no political will to have a proper army. And that's where I'm coming. There are two factors for that. The first factor is that most of the the officers in the Congolese army even maybe some, some maybe higher than the officers, they are involved in trafficking uh, precious, precious, uh, pre- precious uh, elements like gold, like uh, cotton. They are involved in that. So for them to have peace is impossible because they are profiteering from what is happening on the ground. 
That is the first thing. The second thing also, if you take, because when the, 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 those rebels are infiltrated, actually it's a plan from Rwanda. They take rebels, they take the Rwandese, they masquerade them as rebels, then they fight with the Congolese army, then they get those people and they put them back after the peace uh, treaty in the Congolese army. So you find that most of the officers in, in, in Congo, in the eastern part of Congo, actually they are Tutsis, they are from Rwandese origin. So whenever you have a plan, they sell the plan to, to, to the Rwandese. So I will tell the South Africans they must be very careful when they are doing their plan to whom they are giving to, even in the Congolese army, because they might find out that they are giving the plan to, 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 to the enemy. So that is a very important factor. You can have Royvac, you can have C-130, you can have Apache helicopters, but if you don't take that into consideration, uh, the mission is doomed to fail. All that right. is my participation. Okay, all right. Arnold, thanks for that contribution. Prof, what do you make of that? No, I, I, I quite agree. And, and also that was I, what I alluded to when I said that this is, it's a difficult situation because you're operating with, it with, a, with a partner which has limited military capability uh, and abilities, but also uh, that discipline and also that you, you are working with, with a partner you cannot trust in the sense that, for instance, sharing of intelligence for joint operations is difficult because the risk is, of course, they will... Uh, share it with the enemy, uh, and and that is a part of the, the truth. And it's back to uh, to the history of, of the Congolese army, uh, how it was created. Uh, it was um, they had uh, this uh, rapid integ- integration. They called it back in the day when we had the 2002 peace agreement and the rapid integration of rebel forces. You had officers being given, uh, rebel commanders being given officers rank without having any military capability or military training, which basically means that they had no experience in running this kind of, 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 you know, of military units of a certain size. And also they were representing certain interests. And that's also why we've seen desertions. And, you know, the M23 and the OCNDP, which was before the M23, was part of, you know, they're part of that. Um, uh, so so that is that is the problem. So the uh, Congolese army has has for a long time been a plethora of different interests and different groups being integrated fast to to try to solve a uh, rapid uh, critical security situation. There's one of my colleagues. He always compare it to to this. It's like fixing a car when it was well still when when you're still driving, and that that has been the thing that you try to implement security sector reform programs in this area, both by the UN and the World Bank, and South Africa has also been involved in this, and SADC is now going to be involved in it again, uh, in the situation where you have a, 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 a unfolding security crisis going on at the same time. So it is extremely difficult. Uh, one of the things I would I would <coughs> add to this, of course, the the, the relations to uh, the connections to Rwanda inside the Congo is well known, has been well described. Uh, I, I won't go so far because I haven't got seen evidently any concrete evidence on on the I've seen alleged uh, and I, I promise I, I think it might be true, but Rwanda's role in Eastern Congo has been highly problematic for a long time and all that. Uh, and that there is, of course, and maybe one of the big, we haven't talked about that, that one of the biggest threats we see right now is the increased crisis between the Congolese government and Rwanda, because that, again, that is something that the static force needs to go in and solve. And we, and, and one of the, one of the roles that the static force has is apart from trying to disarm these groups and help disarming these groups, 
is also there's this old idea of having this backbone. I remember I spoke to this African ambassador in, in Kinshasa back in 2004, and he mentioned this idea of having this buffer force that, that you have an international static buffer force, which could protect the border towards Rwanda and make sure that uh, the, the, that there's stop the traffic and stop the security threats going both ways. Uh, whether Rwanda is interested in that, whether the Congolese are interested in that, is another story. But that's that's all just illustrates the problem here. But the problem, of course, being also that the Congolese army is has operated with impunity, has close links to certain interests, and also the Congolese army and the older militias are tied. Very many of them are tied into the political system in Kinshasa. So they are they they're serving political masters that have certain interests here and all that. And the final thing I would say is around the, the so-called Rwandas, and they, which, of course, is very difficult. We have a large minority of Kenya Rwanda-speaking people in the Eastern DRC, and that's been part of the whole nationalist debate around who is a Congolese. Uh, and which, when you had the when you drafted the constitution back back in 2006, one of the things here was. How long are we going back? Who are real Congolese and who are newcomers to this area? And there's a lot of strong voices inside the Congo that said everyone who's Kenyawanda speaking are not Congolese. They're from the outside and part of the problem, even though they may be been in the area for more than 100, 150 years. So, so that is also part of this. There's this narrative. So it's also one has to remember there's also a civil war inside, you know, between communities in, in these areas where you had. The Nandi and the Kinyawanda speaking, which is both the Tutsi and the Hutsis, uh, Benyamulenge and others were operating this area. So one has to be careful uh, when, when talking about this, because there's also legitimate concerns from some of these minorities that have been uh, uh, put on a trot on the foot for, for many years and uh, fear for their future and security as well. Um, do you foresee a situation where part of what unfolds in this conflict will also be managed politically. By that I mean that if indeed the M3 rebels and some of its associates are being funded by the Rwandan government, that surely is going to lead to some kind of tension um, between the Rwandese and the South African government. Yeah, and I think uh, it, it could easily do so. And, and and also the thing, of course, being that that one of the things that the static force is supposed to do is to operate with the uh, with the uh, with the national army. And the question is, there's already now rumors out that they the Congolese army is working together with the FDLR, which is a reminiscence of of uh, reminiscence of of the old genocidaires from 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 ninety two uh, sorry ninety four uh, and 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 you know uh, in Rwanda. Which of course is also spilling into this kind of, of story around that that now this static force is coming in, is operating with a with the Rwanda's enemies who are responsible for the genocide and which has never been even completely solved, and they are operating in, 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 in part of an alliance together with these and all these kind of things. And it is true that the Congolese army uh, in that area has operated and made alliance with local militias. We have to remember that I mentioned the. You know the FDLR and M23 and the ADF and the local groups, but we have more than 100 and 120 uh, different rebel groups in this area uh, alone in Ituri and in in the, in the North Kivu. So it's 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 a big issue, and these 
Sometimes they work with the government, sometimes they work uh, against the government, sometimes they're in collusion with, and, and just to illustrate how it works. I remember last time I was in North Kivu, I went, uh, we went on a patrol up to an area where we had a special forces element of, of the, the Congolese army in a village and all that. And we're sitting there, you know, in a, in a ragtag kind of camp, which was not looking like a military camp at all. They had the, the soldiers had the families there. And we were in a village where there was only women because the men were rebels and they were in the, in the, in the forest. And the rebels in the forest, the women went in and out of the camp and then and, and gave, uh, provided food for the for the rebels in in the in the forest. And at the same time, the rebels they owned two hotels in Goma, which were controlled by the government, which they officially were fighting. And then the, the Congolese army commandant said, "Yeah, but we, we're not fighting them. They're not fighting us. We have our families here, so we have an understanding of not charging each other's interest, and we just run our own things." So it's also to illustrate that this is. These alliances are much more complicated and, and, and much more nuanced that, that we sometimes tend to think that it's not like A and B, A against B, whatever. It's sometimes it's B and half A and against B and half C and all that. And they sometimes they change uh, allegiances, uh, allegiances over, over time and all that. So it is a quite a very complicated situation, this, uh, this one. All right, and so... Rwanda, of course, Rwanda is, of course, a key in that. And mm. it is it's a very, very dangerous one because the Congolese, oh, sorry, the South African government and the Rwandan government has been an odds for a long time uh, due to the uh, assassinations of, of uh, Rwandan, uh, Rwandan uh, refugees in South Africa, or former security people, the former intelligence chiefs, and all that kind of yes, thing. So there's yeah. a lot of the political, te political tensions going on, and there's been that for a long time as well. All right. That's where we're going to have to leave it for this morning, uh, Professor Thomas Mandrup. Certainly a lot more complex than may meet the eye in terms of um, the mission that then South Africa will lead to the DRC of the Southern African Development Community. That's where we come to the end of the talking point for today. We're back with you again tomorrow morning. Up next is the book reading. It's followed by the update at noon.